0: This week on Dig Me Out.
1: With your hosts, Jason Zia and Tim
0: Minichi.
2: Jay, we're back again with another episode. Thanks to our Dig Me Out Union on Patreon. You can help us make the next episode happen by joining us at dmounion.com or digmeoutunion.com. And it just so happens today on this particular episode or this evening, depending on what part of the country you're in, one of our patrons is here. He's been here before. We've done more than a, a couple of records with him. Dewey Cole, welcome back.
1: Hey, always always fun to be on. So, last That's year it was
2: was it uh what did we do last year?
1: What we do last year? We did uh Vert Pipe Villains
2: from 1996. That's right. Yeah. That's right. And you joined us for the local H episode. Yes, with Steven. That with was Steve. a lot of fun to. Yes. Yeah. Bef- so I don't want to give a uh, tell everyone your pick for this episode and then we'll get into introducing our extra guests who are here based on that. All right. Pick. So
1: I wanted to do something different because I think this is like my fourth or fifth uh, pick over the years. I wanted to do something a little bit different where I pick something that's newer to me that I don't have a huge history with because everything else I've picked, I go back 20 plus years with
3: Gotcha. either I
1: know the band or I've seen the band a gazillion times or I bought the record the day it came out. But this one I only heard for the first time in December. So it's still really new to me. I know it's not new to chip, because he's got a lot of he's got a huge history with it but i only heard it for the first time in december uh it's by a band called dig it's their self-titled record from 1993 and i just fell completely in love with it it's still in rotation every week since i first heard it and it just blows me away that it missed me in the 90s i have no idea how i missed it and i couldn't believe that there was no review of dig on dig me out my line. I'm like, what? <laughs> How is this possible? Yeah. And uh, so Chip and I briefly talked about possibly doing this uh, last year. Oh, you
2: guys plotted. It was kind of in the comments
1: to talk about it. Yeah, we may have tagged you, but it was in the discussion to possibly do this. So
2: okay.
1: I'm really happy that Scott's here. I, I think this is going to be great. So but I'm just, super excited. Just give
2: away it. the secret guests. Why don't you? Both of them. Just. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll <laughs> OK. All right. So. Based on your your uh, plotting last year, uh, we have a couple of extra special guests for this episode. Coming back, he's been here many times before. He's been here since year one. He's here in year ten. Welcome back, Chip Midnight.
3: Ten years! Wow, I, mean, no. I had no idea.
2: Yes, yes.
3: Ten the- years. Week. I mean let's take a moment to recognize that 10 years of weekly podcasts. I mean as somebody who has started and stopped probably 20 different blogs in the last 10 years that's uh, that's quite some staying power you guys got
2: we are stubborn that's great yeah. we are we are less than a I think we're about a dozen episodes away from 500 so
3: that's amazing it's, amazing
2: um, I don't know how we've done it uh, other than Jane, and i are really good at showing up on sunday nights that's that's <laughs> that's the thing we just show up every sunday night turn on the computer and we're each there so thanks chip we and it, we couldn't i was saying to scott before we couldn't have been we wouldn't have gotten this far without you because you were instrumental first season in getting us interviews and su- making suggestions so this is you've been along for the entire ride and and we're really thankful for that
3: Yeah. No, I love it. Um, You're talking about my my musical decade sweet spot, so Mm -hmm. i to always happy to
2: join. And it's uh, the cat's out of the bag. Sorry about that. That's okay. Also joining us from the band Dig, among among, uh, many other things which I'm sure we're going to get into, on the West Coast, Scott Hackwith. Hi, Scott. Welcome.
4: Hey. Thanks for having me.
2: Um... So I mentioned. Uh, well, first of all, this has been on the back burner. This record for us to do since the podcast started. It's been we had Jay and I used to pick the records, and we each had a long list of records that we wanted to do. And then we transitioned slowly into the people who listen to the podcast actually doing all the picking. So our lists got put on. Uh, got got. Turned off. They're not. They're not available anymore for us. We have to go with whatever get picked. So we've been waiting to get to this record because this was like a no-brainer for our podcast. But we were just waiting for yeah. someone. I think it's even been. It might have been in a poll at some point that I don't know. Jay, can you confirm or deny that it's been in a poll or or this the second album was? oh Okay. And uh I'm glad we're finally getting around to it because unlike Dewey, who magically just discovered this last December. This has been in my brain since uh, I first saw the, the video for Believe back in uh, 1993. So, wow. and I think I'm, I couldn't find it on YouTube, but I think, and Scott, you can correct me if I'm wrong. Didn't you guys play the John Stewart show on MTV back around this time, back when the album came out? We,
4: yeah, we did. We did.
2: I Because I remember that. And
4: that was. Uh, probably 94 or something
2: yeah okay because i used to watch so that t- show and watch all the musical guests and so
3: so tim i'm I'm one of those guys who can't seem to throw away any sort of media
0: mm-hmm.
2: and i
3: have a box of i have a box of vhs tapes that i actually was going through like just a couple weekends ago since i have a little bit of time on my hands now and um and i and i have the john stewart show with Diggs' appearance on it
2: you got to get that uploaded to youtube it's not there. oh wow
3: I have no idea if I know no, how to do them. that, but
4: sure. <laughs> I yeah, don't... If you have a VHS. machine, That's the question. I,
3: say... I, I, uh, I, I, I don't know if I'm shameful that I say I do, but I do. Yes.
4: I think that's awesome. I wish I had one.
2: I, you need to wait. You need <laughs> to convert it to like DVD and then rip the DVD to your computer. I think that's how I, that's would... all. Yeah, that's all. <laughs> do you have a DVD ripper <laughs> at home? so i'm sure that's several thousands of dollars yeah (laughs) just sitting there uh no you can actually
1: you can actually send the tape into a production company and they'll do it for you online i don't know how
2: much costs, but i've done
1: that before with old tapes so it's been a while that's true yep
2: yeah because there's those services that'll digitize your old vhs like your family videos and stuff
1: that can't be the
5: uh that can't be the only one you have chip right i mean you've got to have a library of
3: of oh i got stuff yeah yeah, my mm. wife I, that I've had since I was in, uh, you know, since high school and collecting, and I've and I've had these. We, they've moved from house to house to house, and my my wife is always like, "Why, why are we bringing two big bins full of VHS tapes?" But it's because <laughs> I knew there would someday be a pandemic where I'd sit in my basement, and plug it in, <laughs> and, and watch old um, head right. balls
2: and 120 minutes, and yep. All right. So <laughs> before we get into the record. I would love to get from Scott a little backstory on the formation of Dig and everything that's sort of, and, and don't have to go into super detail, but just leading up to the release of this first record um, in terms of how the band formed, how you end up signing with, I think it was uh, Wasteland, which, we, I, was that a part of Radioactive? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Same company. So how did that all come together? It all came
4: together. um, I was in a band called TSOL. Um, I I toured with them for a good four years. And and through that, I was writing songs and um, ended up writing a bunch of demos on my my little four track uh, recorder and slowly put a band together. And and, um, we went into rehearsals with the band that I put together for maybe three months. And then that's when Radioactive came around and we ended up signing a deal with them. It was very quick um, and not a lot to it.
2: So just back up for one second. TSOL is kind of a legendary punk band. Um, When did you join them?
4: God, probably in uh, maybe 89. Okay. Um, their guitar player, yeah, their original guitar player had quit the band, and they needed somebody to fill in, so I filled in, and that was basically my college. Um, I toured with them. I learned the ropes. Uh, um, met so many people, and which you know ended up later. You know, once I formed Dig, and we went out really helped because I you know I, I knew how to tour I knew a lot of the promoters you know it's all the same clubs we we played and uh yeah so this
3: is this is sort of crazy like I didn't know about this um until like recently um you know a little googling and stuff and uh, so were you on like were you touring didn't TSOL like play with Guns N' Roses early on in Guns N' Roses
6: career
4: you yeah. know I got in TSOL right right um, after that, um, what was the drummer of Guns N' Roses, uh, Steve, Steve Maddler.
2: Yep, he yeah. had worn
4: the TSOL the shirt in Sweet Child of Mine, I think it was. And so I got in right after right after that, that happened. And uh, yeah, I think they did, did some shows with them. Um, okay. I didn't play on any of those. But my first show with TSOL was actually with the Chili Peppers in Arizona. I mean, I was, like, young guy out of San Diego, just moved to L.A., got in TSWL, well, and then instantly out on the road doing, you know, amazing stuff. So, but, yeah, that was uh, the Guns N' Roses thing, really, sort of, that's when TSWL decided to go rock and uh, got me in the band.
2: So, as far as... Bringing Dig Together. Um, The other, well, I noticed that there are, there's quite a list of bass players and drummers from, I'm guessing that's for the different records or does that include touring? Uh, It looks like there's like four different bass players and one, two, three, four. Yeah. Drummers. seems like there was a lot of people through the, through the band in the nineties. Is that did, right. that did that change by record, at least rhythm section wise?
4: Um, I mean, you know, the main lineup was that first EP and that first album. Um, yeah, you know, just uh, every band goes through problems, and um, you know, we did a lot of work, a lot of touring. So through that that first LP, and um, yeah, just you know, things things went south, and. With relationships and all that, as things do, um, and we never really captured that first that first vibe with that that first LP, I, I believe. You know, there, at that time, music was going through a lot of changes. I, when we were in doing our second record, because um, Radioactive went through MCA, um, everybody at MCA got fired, so. And they, they loved us because MCA was, they had a lot of, you know, um, sort of R&B acts. Um, and they, the guys that were running it were into rock and we were their token rock them, and they loved us. And um, through that second record, everybody got fired. So that, that horror story of your A&R guy getting fired, actually, every, everyone got a phone call while we were in the studio everybody got fired so that was a drag and then then after that it was just it was downhill from there i mean they didn't promote the record um and then it was just a matter of you know you know trying to exist as a band it was just it was just wasn't it wasn't happening
2: um i'm willing to bet and jay can back me up that out of every 10 musicians that we have talked to that put out records in the 90s nine of them had their a&r person fired at some point usually after the first record and the start of the second record that is that is like <laughs> i i can't, yeah. i don't know how anybody retained a job for more than six months in the 90s that worked at a record right. label it seems like the most turnover it's like a it's like working at a um at a fast food restaurant there's just people moving in and out very quickly um, I mean, we
4: actually had like our, our new A&R guy that came in. I think we we were, uh, you know, I'm not sure on, a, on the timeline of things, but we got put over on Universal and we had an A&R guy come in and tell us that if we didn't have a hit on the record that we were making, that they weren't going to work it. You know, it's just like, wh- like how do you write a hit? Like, what does you know, that right. even mean? You know? So, yeah, it was crazy times, definitely.
5: And it's well, maybe we have a hit because you guys work it. <laughs> right? Yeah, like, exactly. Maybe it goes the other way around.
2: <laughs> I don't know. Didn't Janie Lane write Cherry Pie when he was told they needed a hit for the uh, for for that album? <laughs> true. <laughs> true. There you go. This is just follow the Cherry Pie formula. Now let's get into the record, which came out in uh, nineteen ninety three. Um. Three, I checked online today uh, while I was doing my research and listening uh, to the record. I show three singles were released with videos, which would be um, Believe, uh, Unlucky Friend, and I'll Stay High. And then I also show that there was a single released for Fuck You, which seems like an odd single choice. I don't know if that's like tongue in cheek that there's a, there was a seven inch single, promo single that was released for that, which can't really say the name of that on the radio. So, um, can, is there a backstory yeah, you know, with
4: that? I, I, that was, um, we were, that, yeah, that was our single that we, we pressed up and we actually hand stamped all the artwork for that. And that's, yeah, that was kind of our, our first single to send out to radio to say, Fuck you. Um you know, Gary Kerfurst, uh the head of radioactive, he had a lot to do with that and he was and so I think that was more of a you know try a marketing trying to get I mean we used to send um like joints in in the what what is it, the little and it's in a CD, and the the backside of the CD, you can there's a little space. We used to stick joints up in that little space, and then send it out to radio stations and stuff like that. <laughs> We'd send like magic mushrooms out to radio stations, um, you know, all with the, the president of the label like, yeah, yeah, do that, do that, you know. Wow. So
2: that that, going on. <laughs> that, uh, that seems like you might get in trouble with the postal service, but. <laughs> uh,
4: well, yeah, this is you know, this is back in the day.
2: Um, you could get away. With so, how did you end up working with? Uh, is I don't know how to say. Is it Jardín or Jardin? Dave Jardin?
4: Jordan, yeah, Jordan. Dave Jordan. Jordan, yes. Um, well, he worked. Um, he did some James. Uh, Gary Kurvers was a manager. He managed James Addiction, the Ramones. Tons of other great bands. Um, so he worked with Jordan, uh, with the band Live, uh, James Addiction, and a few others. So he had a relationship with him. And so he got on, you know, he, he really liked our band. Unfortunately, he was, he he didn't show up for one recording session on that record. Not one. He, he phoned it in. Luckily, I had been you know, recording on my four track forever. So I kind of had a sense of how to overdub and, and um, sort of the experimental side of recording and, and um, so I had a a bit of a sense of, of, you know, producing and engineering. And so he would phone in his, his ideas and how to do things, um, which ended up being beneficial to me in in my career because I learned every one of his tricks. But yeah, he, he ended up not showing up for one recording session for that entire, right? He, he mixed the record, but he wasn't there for any of the recording of.
2: Huh. Wh- what? <laughs> how, right. How, how, does then, away, didn't know.
4: how does he get away with that? <laughs> um, well, you know, it's because things were, we had a good I- engineer, and um, if you press me to tell you his name right now i couldn't do it but uh steve klein um, he there you go steve was amazing steve had a he he did some great work and um like in florida like with black sabbath he was old school um he was great had nothing he he knew nothing about the type of music we were trying to make or what we were going for but he um he he was great to have uh it, it turned out dave was You know, struggling with drug addiction, and he just could not make it. You know, Mm. and and I didn't find that out till maybe a year after we put out that record. He um, came to me and and apologized and (laughs) sorry I didn't show up. But he ended up, you know, mixing the record, um, which having him mix the record was amazing. And he did get through that, and I, you know, I thought it, I, I thought it came out great. You know, so
2: yeah, let's let's actually get into the record. Um, Dewey, let me ask you first, since you said you were, you know, new to the record, um, and it really stuck with you since you've picked it up, what uh, what works best for you on this record? Like, what's what do you connect with? Well,
1: I wanted to talk about hearing Believe for the first time, because that was my intro. Uh, a friend of mine uh, was going through a box of CDs, much like Chip's been doing with his tapes, and he put something on my Facebook wall about, have you ever heard this band before? And uh, sometimes people send me bands, and sometimes I listen, sometimes I don't. But for some reason, I wanted to check it out. So I watched the video on YouTube, which was, I don't know, pretty pretty crappy quality. And uh, I'm like, I got to hear the actual song, how it's meant to be heard. This YouTube stream really isn't doing it justice. So I started streaming it on youtube the audio of it on youtube because the whole record's up there and i just fell in love with well believe was my intro and that's what i just completely fell in love with the chorus it was just everything i love about 90s alternative you know and uh yeah from there i mean i'll be honest after i bought the cd which i think i found on Discogs, or I can't remember one of those sites. It was like 2 bucks, you know, complete steal. I mean, <laughs> I would gladly pay $20 for this record. I mean, uh, so I bought it for like 2 bucks, And I'll be honest, after I got so much into the record, I kind of forgot about how great of a song "Believe" it is until it actually comes up in the checklisting. And it's like, oh yeah, this is the reason why I bought the record in the first place was this song. I mean, that's how great it is. Um, but I mean, I could say something about every track, but I mean, let me know just... Hooksy from the start. It's heavy. It's got those distorted vocals. It's got that fuzz in the guitar. Um, unlucky Friend. Just, I, I just love it all. I'm not really sure where to go, but that's kind of where my, uh, how I fell in love with it.
2: Well, if you'd like to spend some ridiculous money on this record, the vinyl release that was only out in the UK is currently available for $150.
1: I saw that. I was going to bring that up during the uh, podcast about what the deal
2: was with that scott do you have any copies you'd like to sell
4: you know we have a dig merch site and i think that you can buy for way less
2: wow i don't know really
4: yeah
2: i'm gonna look that up because uh, i wouldn't mind having oh that's the dig i just looked up the wrong band
3: Uh, Uh, merch.
2: digbandmerch.com um, so Jay, had you listened to this record before?
5: Uh, I hadn't listened to the whole record But I do remember the single Believe um, So when I went back through it That really brought me back to uh, the early 90s
1: Was the video ever played during primetime hours? Or was it like a 120 minute video? I, I was
5: always curious about that <sighs> That's a good question uh, it, It's one of the songs where I know it but I can't quite picture where I would have heard it um, if it would have been on radio or if it was on MTV. Yeah. Um, I want to say it was probably 120 minutes, but um, that's a good question. Yeah.
4: It was, it was, it was on buzz ben. It was like played okay. constantly.
1: Oh,
5: wow. Okay.
4: For, for a good like three months. And that, that definitely, that's what launched us from playing to one person, you know, to many
1: that makes sense. Cause I did not have MTV in 1993, but I got it in late 94. And by then they were probably, probably stopped playing it. So that makes okay.
6: sense.
2: Yeah. I remember, uh, the, like I mentioned the, the John Stewart appearance, but then also when this was in rotation and also this was when Jay and I were working at the uh, college. Well, actually it was just before you got to Bowling Green, I think Jay. And when we started working together at the college radio station, um, but I think you know, going back and listening to this now, and having a much broader understanding of what was going on in the '90s, uh, I hear a lot of really interesting influences, and I hear a lot of really interesting production stuff that I don't know that I could have articulated. I would have just said that sounds cool, but um, there isn't I I don't know. And maybe you can get into this talking about your production that you did in in place of Dave. Um, it seems like there is a lot of layering guitars and, and playing around with, um, different, I don't know if it's different, um, miking techniques or if you are directing or or running some of the guitars direct. Cause there seems like some really like heavily distorted, dry, like, don't hear any reverb type stuff going on but then there's other guitars that sound like they could have been on a ride or or a slow dive record they're very shoegaze sounding um so i wonder if you could talk a little bit about that because i found that was one of the things i found most interesting was how much variety there was in the guitar uh from song to song on this record but still maintain like a cohesive sound uh
4: yeah you know when i was doing demos for the record there was a you know since i'm a guitar player so there was there was a lot of guitar parts going on so when i put the band together i just felt that um there's no way to get away with just two guitar players i needed three guitar players to do and there was one because there's always some sort of and you're right with the slow dive and um i was really influenced by bands like ride and my bloody valentine that definitely was in there um So I I just felt that there was always this this guitar parts that were droney, verbed out. Um, So there's, you know, finding somebody that could do that sort of stuff. So, and all the the layering definitely came from, you know, Jordan's, you know, phone calls of that's the way to make things large and big. Um, But all the sort of, all the sounds came from amps. Um, there was, you know, some, there's a lot of experimentation and, and, you know, mic, micing up amps, you know, from behind and, and putting them in a, in a, in a bathroom in the studio and outside the door. And there's, you know, we definitely, you know, messed around with techniques and had fun. Um, but uh, yeah, so the layering was definitely, you know, something that we, we've always done. In fact, we're making a record now and we're layering at tons of different guitars. Um, I think, uh, in our band, every guitar, like I had more of a, a, straight dry sort of jangly sound. Um, John Morris had this very beefy Marshall, more rock heavy sound. And Johnny Cornwell had, he was playing through. Um, smaller amps a lot of reverb he had a lot of effects going on so yeah that's that
2: and and that's unusual because there were not a lot of three three guitar bands in the early 90s i jay can you think of any other that were at that time
5: skinnerd no i mean
2: no (laughs) i can't think of any i'm struggling to think of any three guitar bands well, I mean, now they're like, you know, in Pearl Jam, Eddie Vedder plays plays guitar now, but he didn't play guitar, oh uh, well, yeah, in the in the early '90s, and Tom York occasionally plays guitar in Radiohead yeah. when they were doing guitars. I don't know that they do that anymore. Um, but that that to me, when I realized that there were three guitar players and I was listening, to that I'm like, oh, this isn't just like them going wild in the studio. There's there's actually three guitar players playing here which opens up a whole sonic palette that you know is not available to a one or a two guitar band in terms of you know multiple layers of of counter melodies and all sorts of interesting things and effects
5: yeah how do you uh i mean i i've been in a band with one other guitar player it was hard enough to figure out like how to play together how how do you work out three guitar parts
4: you know it's it was already that first record and that first EP, everything was recorded on a four track. So everything, the parts were written. Mm. Um, And putting the guitar, you know, putting the band together, there's, and and if you notice, there's not a lot of soloing going on. There's not a lot of ego guitar stuff going on. Mm. You know, it was all about the part. Um, So yeah, it's, I, and it's basically, everything was written beforehand and, there's no noodling going on you know there's the parts of the parts
5: do you think because you had everything so worked out uh beforehand that that maybe gave Dave a easy excuse not to show up to in terms of like you knew what the songs were going to be yeah, I and wanted, no, the, I, I,
4: it was there I think going day to day with it that everything was going smooth if he really had to show up and there was a problem with the the progress of the record, I think you know. The record company, the record company, really didn't. They just left us alone. Mm. Um, and I and I think and I wasn't you know at the. I mean, I was bummed he didn't show up, and I did de- definitely talked about it. Um, but at the same time, I mean, we were having fun, and and I you know he would get on the phone with me, and he would tell me a lot of secrets that I use to this day, you know, that things that he used with the, when he recorded the stones and, and with house and chains. And so I, you know, if, if that didn't happen, you know, maybe I wouldn't have had a, a career as a, a producer, you know, yeah. so it all worked out.
2: Jay, we did get some comments over at our Patreon page. Do we want to uh, get into those? Some of the stuff that uh, when we previewed this record for our patrons. Of course. Uh, So Richard Waterman said, let's see. This is why Dig Me Out is the best podcast on Earth. I I don't know about that. I mean, Ira Glass (laughs) still has a podcast. So uh, uh, Where else would someone review this band and album? Right here. That's why we're here. That's why we exist. If the aliens happened upon Earth and wanted to know what the 90s sounded like... And also, what they wanted to see what '90s album art looked like, then this would be a prime example. As far as the yeah. band goes, I actually prefer their next album, "Defenders of the Universe." The album was much more post-grunge. I don't is that a is that a is that a legal term? Can we use post-grunge? Has as I don't know. <laughs> I like I, it. I know there's post-rock and there's post-hardcore. I didn't, we got to get post-grunge into the vernacular. Um, I like it. And he mentioned this is funny. Uh, he mentioned. Um, The sound of this album can be attributed to Dave Jordan, who made some of the best sounding rock records of this era. And as we learned, that's uh, sort of true. Not entirely. But (laughs) He he did work on um, another album we reviewed, which was Darkest Days by Stabbing Westward. We did that back. uh, He mentioned episode 377, thanks to our Airtable document, um, which we did like the production on that record.
5: It does remind me of this record oddly enough. I mean, in terms of just the the how huge the guitars are and even some of the distorted vocals and how it sits in the mix um, reminded me of that record as well. Is that is that something that was in the demos, um, the use of distorted vocals, or was that something that came about as you uh, worked with Dave? Yeah, that that
4: was in the demos.
5: Yep. Yeah. Yep.
2: And then um, Darren Lehman, I, both Darren and Richard are both new to the uh, to the Patreon community. Said um, I had never heard of this band before. This is why I love this podcast. So, like you, Dewey, somebody who who is not familiar with this band. Um until recently or until now. I um, really he said now he's got criticisms. Scott, are you okay with criticisms? Absolutely. Okay. He said <laughs> I really like the first half of this album. I definitely yeah. heard some Jane's addiction and Pixie's influence. But he said nice. they lost me on the second half. Interesting. Now I'm looking at the track listing of this record. And I don't know. where I guess half would be believe. So I guess he's starting with feet don't touch the ground, which actually is one of my favorite rec- favorite songs on the record. Um, me too. Because it's got that great like ride that that uh, affected. I guess it's is that the bass or is that a guitar part at the beginning of that song? Uh, I guess it, I guess it's the bass with the with like a fuzzed out
4: yeah it's guitar. The you know, it's, it's the bass and there's a baritone guitar that doubles the bass line. Ah, uh, that's what
2: it is. A okay. lot
4: of uh, this record, mostly the baritone guitar doubling the bass part, which the bass player played, is going through like a Marshall sound. So it's, it gives it that really chunky um, sound. But through that, that we ran it through some more of a chorus um, a a JCM-120 amp sort of sound.
0: Okay. So that's
5: what that's what you use a baritone guitar for.
4: Yeah, <laughs> I've yeah, seen those. That I'm like, a, what do you use those from, for? That whistle from the Who. Um, that was his trick. So, like, in a lot of the of the Who bass licks that you're hearing, and the reason it has so much of that mid range is because it's doubled with a baritone, so it really huh. sort of sticks out. And that was that was one of the tricks I learned from Dave. And then if you run it through, um, and, it, it, and it's through like a Sans amp, you know, um, not through actually through running through a Marshall, but you run it through like a Sans amp or some sort of guitar rig or whatever, and you use that uh, JTM sound. It gives it that that really chunky, um, like hitting a sandbag sort of sound, and that's what you hear in Allison Chains. Um, if you, you know, any of those bass parts, that's, that's where you that that really just chunky, you know, you can feel the bass part. Sound comes from.
1: Yeah, I I wanted to say I really love the mixing on this record. And I'm not sure if it's because of the time. I mean, there's so many great sounding records from that era, but you can hear the separation of the instruments. The bass is thick, chunky. The guitar is hit really hard. Um, it just it blew me away. I mean, like I said earlier, it's something that you don't really hear anymore. And uh, the, whoever mixed it did an incredible job, I thought. So, wanted to add that.
4: Yeah, yeah, Durden, he's, he's amazing. I mean, yeah. I mean, that's his thing. He calls himself an engineer, you know, so...
0: Yeah. You
4: know, and that, Yeah, I give him all the credit in the world for, you know, mixing this record. Even on Belize, um, he was feeling that it, once we got into mixing, he just felt there was something missing in the song, and then we ended up putting uh, that Evo part and believe in the mixing session. So I mean, he, he definitely he definitely pulled it out during mixing, and I appreciate him for that.
2: So Chip, take us back to your experience with this record. Um, How did you come upon it in terms of, I know you ended up interviewing Scott back in the day, but was this something that you got as a promo item or did you discover it in a store? What's the backstory?
3: No, so the backstory, and I'd be interested if Scott remembers this. um, I was at the CMJ convention in 1993. It was my first time that I'd ever been to the CMJ at College Music Journal Convention. It was a industry type event in New York City where, you know, a ton of bands played, sort of sort of like South by Southwest. Um, but you know, New York's a little bit more spread out than Austin. and so. Um, but same idea. you know, night after night, every club has a showcase of five, six, seven bands. But, Um, like I said, it was my first time going and um, I had talked to somebody who had been there before and they had given me the tip that you need to find the industry parties because at the industry parties, you could get free beer. And so at some, somewhere I picked up a flyer that said, um, you know, come check out this thing. And it, it didn't promise free beer, but I'm like, I'm going to go check this thing out. So it was uh, a, and, and I, I'm hoping my memory is correct, but I you know, it was a long time ago, 1993. But um, I saw like a 3D snowboarding movie with like all these snowboarders jumping off ramps and doing these crazy tricks and stuff. And in that movie or in the documentary, or whatever it was, I don't even remember how long it was. But um, Dig provided the soundtrack, and I think played like like this. If I remember correctly, like the snowboarders were like flying over you guys and and going all around you. Am I crazy, Scott, or is that?
4: You no, that? You, you you have it right, but it wasn't snowboarders, it was skateboarders. And it was a, we were playing okay. actually on a, a, a ramp, like a half pipe, and Tony Hawk was didn't one somebody that was jumping over us, so yeah. Oh wow. Close. So so Close. I saw
3: I saw that and I think you guys did like two or three songs maybe in that and um and like I walked out of there and uh, I went right down to um, Saint Mark's place to Sounds Re- like I I can distinctly remember going into Sounds Record Store, which you had to kinda go up five or six stairs and, um, you know, went right to the D section and I, and I found a copy of the CD. So I bought it like probably an hour after seeing that. Um, totally like just, it just, the the visuals and the music together just, um, sold me right off the bat. And then, um, I think okay, I, you know, again, a little fuzzy fuzzy of those days, but, um, dig played at stashes in Columbus. And I think that was the the, that was the first time I saw the band. And then I drove to Cleveland at the Grog shop. And I think Scott, that was when, um, I, I think that's when I interviewed you and, uh, and you had told me that your son had just been born. And I, you know, the early nineties, I was writing for the zine and we were trying to get kind of crazy with the graphics and stuff. And, um, I told Scott that if he gave me a, a picture of his, of his newborn son, um, that we somehow incorporated into the article. And, you know, I think you had a picture on you or you sent me a picture and I ended up with a picture and I brought it back to Columbus and the graphic designer who laid out the page, um, made it the entire like back photo of the interview. Like it's the background of the, of the story. Um, yeah. And then, uh, and then I know I saw you one more time at, um, the Newport music hall, which is the bigger venue, about 1500 seater in Columbus, um yeah, and then so you know, then like the internet starts and like I don't know if it was MySpace where I connected with you or somewhere I connected with you. Um and I was just looking this up, sometime in I think two thousand four there were somebody had a dig a dig fan site. Um it was like a Geo City site or a tripod site or one of those kind of sites. And uh <laughs> you know, back in those days I'd like I'd I'd hit it every you know. A couple of weeks to see if there's any news and um and there was news in like 2004 that you scott and john and johnny had gotten back together and were maybe recording some stuff and um i sent i, I was writing for a blog called done waiting at the time and sent you a, i think maybe a 10 questions oh, or so like
0: um
3: you know all excited for a new dig record in 2004 and uh here we are 2020
2: I'm right, <laughs> we're making that record. I think that that uh, dig site is defgav dot com now. It's backslash dig.
4: That's still up.
2: Wow, it's still up. Is it really? Yeah, news and updates. Yeah, they're waiting for that record. They're they're persistent. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, they
4: the we're still we're still making that record today. Like we're still doing it. You know.
2: The last update was 2012. So um, so they might have something now to, uh, add.
3: Yeah. So, um, um, Tim, I'll send you a link to this, but, um, so I've, I've been, uh, you know, I have all, I have all this stuff in print that is awesome. I mean, I love, there's something about maybe Scott can, can attest to this. Maybe, I don't know, like having, having a physical copy of something you've done as opposed to a website or something digital. But, um, but I also realized that like in the 90s, I was writing for, for this magazine called Moo, which was based in Columbus and distributed throughout um, Ohio, Illinois, Indiana, I think it was our kind of our region that we that we distributed to. But um, but because you know those are sort of lost to time, I have copies of everything. And so um, I've started posting everything on chipmidnight.com and I posted the Dig article and uh, there's a scan or a picture of, of that layout with, uh, with Scott's son in the background. So Tim, I'll, I'll make sure you get a copy of that link or whatever. Wow. This is out.
4: awesome. I i sent that to my son. He he loved it. I, I scored points. Thank you, Chip.
3: <laughs> you know, I mean to me like I'm just looking at it, I'm like, Oh yeah, your your baby son, but that's what, twenty six years <laughs> ago?
6: <laughs> yeah. Crazy, right?
3: <laughs> that is crazy. And I'm and I'm looking. It was so that was the first issue of this magazine that we had started. Moo. It came out of we had we had had another magazine in Columbus called the Columbus Edge, um, and the guy that ran it wanted to kind of kind of make it bigger, um, kind of go regional. And so we killed. I I, I kind of um, compared it to like being in a band, and and the band breaks up, but like a couple of the key members stick around and start something new. And that's sort of what happened here is we started Moo. Um, but I. Just realizing now that that was the first issue of mood that Dig was in, and it was funny because um, at the time I interviewed um, Adam Sandler, who at the time was just still on Saturday Night Live, uh, and he was coming to Columbus to do a, um, you know, stand-up comedy show, and I remember asking him kind of who his favorite bands were at the time, and uh, and and Dig was the band that he called out. He said, uh, you know, I really like this this band called Dig. That's Very awesome. Cool. But here's so here's the other thing. You know, again, you know, 1994. I was, uh, you know, in my 20s, um, and and I sort of kick myself now um, because I think if I if I remember correctly, uh, dig dig toured with some of my other favorite bands at the time. You guys played shows with the Posies and with Blind Melon. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. And like in 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 around you know 91, 92. Those were those were a couple of my favorite bands, and like I wish I had. I wish I had been paying more careful attention and seeing you on, on shows with those guys, because that would have been just uh, mind-blowing to me, I think, at this point.
4: Yeah, the, the Blind Melon tour was just amazing. It was incredible.
3: It's crazy, because I saw them every show they did in Ohio, but I don't think you ever played in Ohio with them.
4: Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. We did a lot, though. We did a lot with them.
5: What's a breakdown with the what kind of touring did you do around this record?
4: Well, everything that we possibly could, but we did some amazing stuff. I mean, we toured with the Bad Brains, um, it was great meeting those guys and hanging out every night. Um, And we did like Rollins in in the UK, we did a great uh, tour with uh, Therapy. In the UK, that was just amazing. Very huge moment. Yep. Um, I mean, we yeah, we had so many. I mean, you know, and playing with the Ramones and um, we had a lot of great opportunities. uh, Were
1: were there any any bands that you played with that you would consider heroes at at that time that you couldn't believe you were sharing? the the,
4: the Ramones were definitely. That was. I mean, playing and touring with them was that was pretty incredible.
0: God, yeah. I mean, it was
4: difficult. It was difficult because nobody wanted to hear us, and it's like one, right. well, two, three, get off. No.
0: <laughs> but uh,
5: I was going to ask how the fans were on that.
4: But I, I definitely formed a relationship with Joey, you know, through that, and he, he you know, he's amazing. He's really good.
2: So, is that how you ended up um, working on Ramon's stuff later on? Is through meeting them then?
4: Yeah, you know, it was, it was through Gary Kerr first. Um, definitely, he was probably trying to set me up to produce bigger and better things and so he could make money. But, um, yeah, it was, it was, you know, meeting meeting them through the tour and it started out just to be an EP. was no big deal. Um, then, it, you know, everybody was loving what was going on. It ended up being an LP, but... Um, it was good. It was, it was a, an amazing experience for me. I mean, there was no reason why I should be <laughs> like producing a Ramones record. Cause I had no experience at that, at that point. Um, so it was, it was incredible.
1: I wanted to quickly ask about the run EP. I don't have it yet. I haven't even heard it yet. Um, somebody was saying on YouTube that the version of I'll stay high is the EP version. Is that different on the EP, or can you kind of explain that?
4: Yeah, it's a different version. Okay. I mean, um, probably the arrangement's exactly the same. It's just a different studio and different moment. a little heavier on uh, on the LP, I think. But Runt was definitely, that was, you know, a good snapshot of the band at that moment.
2: so okay i just want to go back to the ramones thing for a minute so you produced the 93 album uh acid eaters right correct so in the credits (laughs) for this record additional musicians include pete townsend sebastian bach and tracy lords um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh
5: okay pick three random names <laughs> yeah
2: it, literally pick three random people and let's get them to sing backing vocals on three different songs uh, that, how did the, what is going on with those three people like how was that people that the band wanted to work with or i mean they did substitute so you know you get you get pete sound right. pinks so, to sing back up
4: yeah, my favorite like the reason i started playing guitar that was i was so into that and that was amazing to meet him and to work with him um and then when they said sebastian uh, buck i'm just like oh my god you know like no um at that moment at this moment i don't really care but i was so against it and but he ended up being a really cool guy um the epitome of heavy metal walked in with the girl and the bottle of jack and you know just <laughs> full on and you know and everything was a scream and um and tracy she ended up being actually a friend of mine um she ended up uh, we ended up doing some music back in la and she she was a label mate so that's why she was on that
2: Okay cuz yeah they released this on um radioactive. Right. So that makes sense then. Okay. Which Jay, if you don't remember uh radioactive it, I mean it was primarily that was li- when live broke it was on um radioactive. Uh, also okay. the home yep. of Angelfish, Which we are big yeah, fans of that it's record.
4: Yeah. Okay. from Garbage.
2: Yep. yep. Yeah, that's one of those we want that record that that needs to be reissued on vinyl. That that is a long out of out of a print uh, record that needs a reissue. What angel pit? Yeah, yeah. It, is this the start of your? I mean, did you did you have plans to go into production, or was it that you got this off and you're like, okay, well, this is interesting, and I'll think I'll take a shot at it, or was it? I mean, it was
4: it was definitely it was something that I definitely had interest in. I mean, I was, that was my passion. Um, so I, that definitely creatively that's, I love production and I love working with bands. So yeah, it was something I was interested in and it was something I was doing anyways, you know, before the runs, I was already producing other bands. Um, you know, realizing that it, that's not where I was going to actually make a living at, at a certain point. Um, you know, I started doing music for, for television and commercials and stuff like that. Cause it was way more lucrative, but, um, I still, I'm still producing, you know, when I, you know, I'm still working with artists. Um, you know, I'm still, I'm still doing it. So I, I'd love to do it.
2: Do you think that as a producer you have, honed in up on a particular sound where someone's going to say that's a Scott Hackwith production in the same way that people might say that with like Steve Albini where you hear a record and you go oh that's a Steve Albini record you can hear by the way that the guitar sound or the bass or the drums or what have there. or are you more in tune with whatever the band has as their sound?
4: Yeah I would say I would say that I, th- I, you know, I, I'm working on new music right now for dig. And and I feel that, that, that's my sound or, you know, where I, where I, and you know, where I've started. And, and it's funny cause I'm, I'm back in San Diego at the moment and, and working on music and then inspired and, and it's sounding a lot like the first, you know, sort of dig stuff. Um, but when I work with other Artist. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of going for, you know, what they're into and what's what, trying to capture their vision, of what it is they're trying to portray, you know?
5: I wanted to uh, ask about the album art for this. It's so memorable. Um, I, I remember it instantly when I saw it. Um, it stood out at the time. It's also very 90s. Um, just the typography, the the image the fly like everything about it what's the story how did how did this uh album art come come about
4: um so back in the day i was um i worked as a art director for doing music videos and commercials at a company called propaganda um and so I was very involved in filming and we were constantly doing, you know, little short films and, and photography. And, and so this was, you know, one of those projects we just, um, we're out shooting stuff in my backyard and shooting everything. And that ended up being, um, my dog's chew toy and it was on the back of and I had gone to a little shop and bought a bunch of, like, little plastic flies and plastic whatever. Just to take pictures of, just, you know, art props. Um, so, that was actually done. The the background, we made a little psych out of uh, the back of a Runt poster. Um, so, the white in the back is uh, the back of a Runt poster huh. for CP. And... And, yeah, just, you know, perfectly placing the fly and taking a picture. And there's a million other. which is funny because I just came across a roll of film um, that I had that was from that take. And it was just, uh, just uh, you can imagine, like, thousands of pictures of different things just like that. And that, that happened to be the one that we were, the, okay, yeah, this is it. And, that's, and the dog's name is Dig. So it was, you know...
5: Apropos. Oh, uh-huh. nice. Big
4: chew,
5: chew toy. You can kind of tell it's, it's either styrofoam or I don't know what. So, <laughs> it like
3: looks like a Nerf football or something.
5: Yeah, I remember yeah, the, uh, yeah. in the 90s. Remember those like, Nerf balls that had faces on them? I was wondering if it was one of those. Um, do
0: you guys know, know what I'm talking where about? where it
4: came from, or, but it definitely was like a Nerf. Yeah. It, and it still exists. We still
2: have that. Name. Oh, really? They were called Madballs. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
3: It's so creepy so, too.
5: It's very
2: creepy.
3: So Tim and Jake, <laughs> with with nearly 500 episodes under your belt. Yes. Um the one thing I loved about Dig is you know, I think Scott mentioned that the bands that kind of influenced the sound and the kind of the maybe some of the shoegazer bands Ride and and those bands, but I've always been like I love every song on this record, but I've 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 never heard. At least in the '90s, uh, there weren't other bands that sounded like Big. Like the closest, and I only discovered this recently. I think you guys reviewed um, that the the Flies record.
2: Mm, I don't think so. No, that the song that you, they, you they did, the band the that did uh, "Got You Where I Want You." Yeah, you guys reviewed that? No, we haven't reviewed that. Oh,
3: well, you should, because uh, I remember listening to that and thinking that that sort of had a, like a somewhat, I mean, this, the single didn't sound like Dig at all, but I remember listening to that and it was a lot, it was a lot different than I thought than the single was. But um, but yeah, I, I don't remember there being a lot of bands that sounded like, like Dig.
2: I agree with you. I was definitely pleasantly surprised because i heard a much broader range of influences than just a band this could have easily been a nirvana band but there is so much more going on in terms of the guitar uh work and we you know you mentioned the shoegaze stuff but and the production really helps push it in a different direction than just you know Post grunge or grunge or whatever you talk about I don't this doesn't have that Grungy sound to me In in the way that You know the the Knockoffs did that came after Nirvana The The real thing that threw me was Like hearing those Effects like so many different Effects uh, from From Sounds I didn't hear a lot of in the 90s It was a lot of like you know soft Chorus soft verse loud chorus and it was just all about distortion pedals and then in the verses there might be like you know a little bit of chorus on the guitar or something like that just to give the clean guitar something to play with but there's a there's quite a bit more going on and it's interesting knowing now that Scott played in TSOl because i hear a sort of punk influence in terms of the attitude with the songs not necessarily like these are punk rock songs but just in terms of sort of the the delivery the vocal delivery has an edge to it on a number of tracks that i
1: wanted to bring up conversation yeah like yeah um i also want to ask about the background bar noise is that something that was discussed like during the demo phase or kind of where did that come in
4: Yeah, it was all planned. To we had everybody come into the studio and hang out in the live room, um, and we had a, a party, and we just put up mics everywhere.
6: And, okay.
4: You know, people knew they, they, they people knew they were there, but you know, after a while, um, we, we just recorded four hours of it and took those snippets.
2: Oh wow! Cool, yeah. we had four hours for to get it down into one song.
0: <laughs>
4: yeah, it's know, out in the middle, so it's hardy in there. You know? Like probably <laughs> it's more like ten well, You know, I don't know.
5: <laughs> so, how long did this did the record take to record?
4: Mm, uh, I'm gonna say, you know, maybe a month. Is funny that because every every projects i'm i'm working on now it's taking years yeah so yeah um yeah it wasn't you know back then you know it was you're paying a lot every day so you had a a
1: pretty strict deadline when you were recording
4: you know probably not but i felt as we did and, and and we just got through it i mean it was it was such a passion to like go there every day and make that music that uh, it probably happened really quick because we loved what we were doing, you know?
2: Um, you mentioned about having a, like a little bit of a leash. You didn't, you, you know, didn't have the, the label sort of on top of you. Did that extend to the music videos in terms of budget and in terms of what you wanted to do with them Uh, you did three videos from what I can find for believe, uh, unlucky friend and I'll stay high. So what was, what's the story we get, we've gotten a lot of different, you know, uh, a lot of different feedback from, from various artists, whether they, you know, basically had a camera in a room for one day, or if they had like a half a million dollar budget to do something huge. Um, what was your experience like?
4: Um, my experience was different because I was from the music video background and I, and I would, you know, my friends were directing or, you know, so I, I didn't even think at that time of like, you know, what the budget was. Certainly they, you know, radioactive was trying to spend the least amount of money they possibly could. And they probably saw an advantage with me because I could get my friends to do it. I mean, I believe was done for less it was seventeen thousand um, dollars. which at that moment, you know, to have the exposure that that, that video got, I mean, labels were spending, you know, a million dollars. So I mean they, they loved me when it came to doing music videos and stuff. Not to say that they were great, but um, I could get something done for less than nothing. So yeah, I never took advantage of the label of the label for like touring, I because of TSOL. I you know it's like we were, you know, in TSOL, we got two rooms and it was two guys to a bet. You know, I slept with another dude for you know years, um, and that's <laughs> just the way it was. And that's you know we were in a van and you know we had, you know, we survived off of selling merch and. And that, and that was that. So when, when dig started, I could, you know, definitely there were, I could have, you know, let's get a bus. Let's, you know, everybody, uh, but I didn't. I was like, let's keep it slim, keep everything slim. We don't want to spend too much money because it's our money, you know. Um, so, yeah, I mean, as far as music videos and spending crazy amounts of money, that never happened.
1: Did you were, get- the, were the were the second and third videos lower budget than believe? I'm assuming they were. Yes. Okay. I've watched the yeah, unlucky video true. a couple times recently. It's
4: funny because like we were, you know, it's, we did our own videos. I, like the label didn't come to us and say, "Let's do a video." We just did our own videos. Um. So I guess you know it was different. You know, for a lot of other bands that didn't have that experience of knowing how to do a video,
2: so did you get offers, or or did you? I know you, you know, in '93 you did the Ramones record as a producer. Did you consider going into video production for other bands? Oh
4: uh, no, never.
2: No, okay. No, that
4: that wasn't really my passion. I am. I mean, you know, it's like I. And creatively, yeah, um, but yeah, no, that that wasn't my passion. I mean, definitely, like um, you know producing bands and music, um, composing music for film and and all that. that was more of my passion.
5: so now that you um, are or in the more of the producer role, when you go back and listen to this record, what about it? do you do you hear and? Is there anything that you would change?
4: Uh, lyrically, I would change things, but uh, uh, sonically, I, I love it. Mm. And yeah, there's nothing I would change. Now, the other records after Follow, definitely I would change. Um, I wasn't happy with those, but I, the you know, first EP, first LP, I'm proud of for sure.
5: So do you think uh, we had um, someone recommend Defenders of the Universe a couple months ago? Are you, uh, did we pick the right record to review of the two? You no,
4: know, it's like I, to each its own, I think that if, if somebody's into that record, I, I just, there's, there's, I mean, a couple couple songs maybe I can get into. I just, you know, I was coming from a different place, and there was different sort of pressure behind that record, and it was, you know, strange times, and it wasn't definitely the first EP and LP are, are it for me, and and the and the music that I'm making now for Dig is definitely following that path, and <laughs> not Defenders.
1: Do the songs that you're doing now? Do do these go back to 2004 and five and whatnot? What are you saying? The songs that you're working on now, or do these songs go back to 2004 when it was first discussed doing another record?
4: You know, it's... And I'd love to send you guys all the songs that we've done thus far from then. Um, it's, a, it's a different time. And, and, you know, since the pandemic that we're in and the lockdown... And and me, I actually came down to San Diego to do this record and to finish it up, um, that things have changed. And so I feel differently about, um, you know, where I'm at with past, you know, the the music that I made and where I'm at now. And, and it things have come sort of full circle for me where I'm making music that it sounds way more like first record. Um, so, yeah, I just... I mean, that's always been the thing is that it's, like, trying to figure out, um, you know, is, is this where I'm at the, at this moment? Should I release this music? And and it's never been like, no, this isn't speaking to me at this moment. Um, I don't know what the question was, but there you go.
2: Um, <laughs> do you have... Plans in terms of finishing up the record and and a release uh, time frame, or is that still up in the air?
4: No, it's it's definitely going to finishing the record um, in the next couple months. We're going to finish the record and just put it out, and that's going to be what it is. And I'd say that there's at least six new songs that have been written and and recorded in the last three weeks. So it's probably going to be all new music. And so, and it's going to be a lot like the first record It's going to, you know, yeah. So it's going to be out soon.
2: Well, when that happens, make sure you email us because we keep a running calendar of all new releases relevant to nineties and eighties bands. And we send that out to our listeners every week so that they know what's coming out. So, uh, we, we're gonna to want to know about that, is what I'm saying.
1: Scott, do you still hear from do you still hear from older fans quite a bit uh, on Facebook? Yeah, all you? the time.
2: Okay, all
4: that's the
1: time. Cool. Yeah. And one other question, great. one other question about back back in the day. Do you remember when you when you used to play different cities? Did you have any markets that were uh, more supportive of you than others that you just love going back to that you recall?
4: Yeah, Columbus, Ohio was amazing. Yeah? Uh, yeah. That
2: was just Chip. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
2: well, Chip could rally a bunch of people. Chip,
5: yeah, Chip was your hype man. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah.
4: But we, we, we always had a great um, time in Boston. That was definitely where things started for us. And, you know, on the East Coast, New York was definitely always happening for us. Never L.A., never the West Coast.
1: You know, interesting. Or
4: whatever,
1: yeah. There's a there's a video on YouTube of a, a radio festival you guys were playing somewhere in the West Coast. I'm not sure if you've seen it. It's probably been up for a few years. It was a, a slide shot video for some. It was either done for a, a maybe a local channel or something, but um, it's the only real live footage I've been able to find of you guys. And uh, mm. it, like it was a pretty big crowd. It looked like it was a during the day um not sure if you're familiar with this or not but it's up on youtube it's pretty cool to check out
4: oh yeah i'll look for it
1: i think it's from 93
4: so it's like i don't know if we're blessed by not you know being before all the you know being on youtube and the internet but maybe it's best that we weren't i don't know
6: yeah that's
1: that's the bad thing it's trying to find live stuff is for bands like for dig for instance it's it's hard before the uh, the internet age, you know. Well, because Chip has them all on VHS in his
5: basement. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, break it out.
0: Chip.
2: Yeah, <laughs> there you Unlock go. Unlock the vault, man! Come on. Yeah. Seriously. Uh, Jay, anything else you want to cover?
5: Uh, no, I, I think we got to everything I had.
2: Okay. Chip, any other memories uh, that you want to share? I did find the website. I did find the the article on the website, and I'm going to link to that in our show notes. Cool. Uh, the uh, the by the way the epi, or the uh, the cover for that particular um, issue uh, had the Afghan wigs on the cover with um, I think the bands listed were the Breeders and Guided by Voices. So it was a very Ohio centric episode for the for the cover. Oh, for uh,
3: sure. For sure. Uh,
2: always appreciate uh, it. No, I think,
3: you know, The all, I mean, you know, m- kind of my closing thoughts are that, um, I mean, this album to me, top to bottom, like I listen to it, I still listen to it regularly. It's, uh, you know, I have the CD, it's in my car all the time. Um, just, you know, 27 years later, you, just top to bottom, it's just, uh, they, there's not a song that I skip. I, I love every song. Um, So that was the first thing. Uh, My wife and I will occasionally, when there's nothing on TV, go to YouTube and do the the 90s alt rock. uh, Do you remember this song? And Believe is usually the first video that we always play. And then um, the other sort of little random bit is, um, well, I don't know how long ago this was, five, ten years ago? Um, You know, I'm still obviously having the VHS tapes in my basement, still a CD person, and, you know, I miss physical media and i miss being able to flip through cd covers but um i went and saw this band everest and the guy selling t-shirts was a guitar player joel graves and i went up to him and I'm like hey did did you play in a dig record and he looked at me and he's like you were the first person that's ever come up to me and asked me if i was ever in Dig." Um, yeah you knew a face sir uh i was a, i was a big fan of everest i mean they're a great band um and i don't you know, I, he, he was on Life Like, right was that the album he was on yes yeah. yeah and like i said i was probably just flipping through cd covers and and saw some names on there and and um recognized his name from that somehow i don't know
2: wow chip you're yeah. amazing
4: that's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> that pretty incredible
2: The fact that you put that face like you recognize that person and and pulled it out at at that moment like i would have thought of it three hours later been like oh that was that guy and you nailed it well like i said he
3: he was he was he was pretty shocked that i knew that
4: (laughs) yeah because he was in the band for like a month
0: (laughs) (laughs) did you
3: know the month uh Yep. that i
0: don't
2: know i, I don't <laughs> know what it was <laughs> awesome uh this would be a good place for us to um to start wrapping up we've 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 slaughtered the hour mode um uh, you know we've gone over our hour. Told we were gonna go over an hour. yeah i knew you yeah, yeah. we're talkative um uh, besides the dig record that we are now eagerly anticipating um, Scott, what else you got going on that you'd like to share, if anything?
4: Uh, yeah, no, the big record is definitely it. I'm full bore of that, but um, you know, I'm just I'm uh, still trying to make a living at doing music for film and television, which has come to a screeching halt at the moment, but which has given me time. Make music and get back to what I
3: I love. Um, so yeah, that's it. I I got a quick question for Scott. So I I was looking back at the 2004 email interview I did with you, and I had asked you kind of what you were doing in music, and you said something along the lines of like turn on your turn on your TV, and you've heard something I've done recently. So like what is what is a commercial or something that we would have heard that uh, that you did?
4: I'm crush myself here now. Um, Recently, nothing probably. Do you watch television? Do you see commercials these days? No. Okay. (laughs) It's all Netflix. You see nothing. It doesn't matter.
3: But you did, you wrote commercials, like jingles and and songs for commercials, right? At one point?
4: Yeah. Yeah.
3: Does that
1: That pay pretty
4: well? well? That pays pretty well, yes.
1: That's good. um, That's what it,
4: yes, it does.
1: Quick question about about Dig. So, if you're going to go forward with another record, is there going to be any social media presence? Because I don't, you guys don't have like a page on Facebook or anything, do you?
4: Well, I just started a, a Instagram. Okay, so you can go there. Um, and there's actually some some songs in progress that I. That are up there. So you can actually hear some stuff that we're doing currently.
0: Oh, cool. Uh, within
4: the last couple days. They so can go to And it out so, uh, and
3: it sounds like dig.
4: It sounds like dig. Um, I, it does. You know, your
2: MySpace page yeah. is still active. I just want to throw it oh, out there. <laughs> if Holy you... shit.
4: Is that even active. MySpace? Oh my god.
2: Yeah, doesn't Justin Timberlake own it? Didn't he buy it no, at one point? I'm going
4: there now. I'm going there now.
2: You might want to reclaim that because, um, yeah, you know, MySpace might ha- might uh, have a resurgence with everybody stuck at home. We're gonna, gonna get nostalgic. <laughs> Either that, or yeah. grab a friendster. Watch account. VHS
3: tapes.
5: When we finally have run out of things to look at on the internet, we'll make it over to MySpace again.
2: Yeah.
1: <laughs> what's the yeah, What's the Instagram handle?
2: Funny. oh yeah what is the instagram handle so uh people can find it
4: let me see let me look not too good at this stuff you know <laughs> <laughs> dig the band
1: okay that's easy enough and is there any chance that you guys could play live shows in the future have you discussed that
4: Yeah, definitely
1: okay just west coast or would you ever do another tour
4: no we're definitely talking about doing a tour and um yeah going out
1: and doing it you know okay cool that'd be great i would definitely be there chip and i will be hand in hand seeing you guys if you come back (laughs) oh it's true yeah we'll be there
2: you just gained a new follower dig me out is your following apropos of course (laughs) apropos yeah
4: oh shit you're number 81 awesome (laughs) (laughs)
2: <laughs> uh, yeah
4: I'm, I'm trying to get this This is all me now So it's, I'm, I'm very slow at this So I'm trying to get it all together The social media Stuff that is Yeah I'm calling you now
3: There is There is there is a uh, Facebook page It's Dig the Band as well
6: Thanks Chip Yep There is
2: I like the yes, fact that is. these all just went up, like, in within a very short period of time before this. <laughs> it's, it's, uh...
4: So should I keep the the Facebook going, or should I just forget about that? Does Facebook matter anymore?
1: No, it definitely does, especially for people in, in our age range, at least in our 30s and 40s. We're still on there. I'm not sure about... For Gen one. X, yeah,
2: yeah. Yeah. De- yeah, Not, not if you want to get the uh, the uh, the millennials, you have to go over to Snapchat or, which uh, you have to do some TikTok videos, right?
4: I'm not gonna go there, but
2: all right. Um, Chip, what do you got going on? I I know you have Chip midnight.com is that being updated regularly
3: that is about it yeah i mean i'm just like i said it's more the nostalgic thing um haven't really done any i haven't really even thought about exploring trying to do new interviews for that site it's more just a historical just to document all the stuff i've done um still writing for big takeover magazine uh new issue should be out any day now Uh, comes out twice a year and that's about it that's what i got going on writing wise
2: all right, and Dewey, what are you up to? Well, I do have to ask: Does this mean that this is a worthy record
1: for you guys, or is there not going to be a rating with the artist with us? Or
2: well, we—I I mean, for way? me personally, it's a—it's a worthy record. We tend not to get into nitty-gritty uh, uh, stuff with with artists in terms of like we do when we're just by ourselves.
4: <laughs> then, the artist, then the
1: artist can listen to it and fire off a nasty email.
2: Right. Well, like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, like like Ted nicely.
5: Right. Right. Yeah. We don't need to,
2: We don't need any more of that.
5: Um, I don't need uh, Dave J- Jordan being mad at me. Uh, right. That's true.
1: Peter <laughs> here's the. Uh,
5: we did do the vote uh, with patrons, and it was a
1: split between an EP
5: and uh,
1: a worthy album. Yeah, based on the on the patron response, it didn't seem like many people were familiar with it, so that was kind of exciting. Cause I really hope that people listen to this and uh, check it out. I was shocked that people. Yeah. Especially for, for me. I mean, I, I try to, I can't believe I didn't hear this back in the day. I just don't know how it, how it passed me, but that's why we have podcasts like dig me out, you know, but um, yeah. So I was really excited to find it and hopefully more people will listen to this and check it out and get into the band.
5: And, yeah, uh, luckily it's uh, it's still available on all the streaming services, which isn't always the case. On some of the
1: god, yeah, that's a godsend, especially in, in this day and age. It seems like every other week there's a record that's not on Spotify that a friend of mine asked me about. And I, I'm just like, I don't know, man. Find the CD and rip it. You know, I don't really know what else
2: to tell you. I don't have um, a CD player anymore because I got a new Apple laptop last year. And uh, it doesn't have a CD thing, so I can't even rip CDs. Yeah. Uh, yeah.
5: you You can buy one for like 40 bucks.
2: That's regressing, Jay. I don't want to regress. I'll I'll, I'll hook you up. Oh, okay, thanks. <laughs> uh, Scott, thank you for joining us on this. This was a lot of fun. Yeah, thank
4: you, thank you for having me,
2: Dewey. Thank you for your continued support as a patron. We greatly appreciate it, and all your comments and your contributions to the podcast. And of course, um, Chip, as always, thank you coming on as well. wouldn't be here without you, Chip. Ten years. Well, um, yeah. Thanks for having me on all the time. Um, do want to mention that Patreon uh, is where you go to support the podcast, Dig Me Out Union, DMO Union. If you like what you heard, please consider leaving us some positive feedback at Apple Podcasts, and you can go to digmeoutpodcast.com to sign up for our weekly box newsletter. Uh, one minute reviews of new albums As well as our calendar of 80s and 90s Releases, books Music and uh, Stuff that's streaming Because nobody's going to a movie theater at this point So it's all streaming And that's it for Tim and Jay We're out We'll be back next week with another episode Dig me out well-